Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to Sincerely Zainab, where we keep it real, y'all. We keep it a buck up here, okay? We're being our sincere and authentic selves so others too can feel safe to be themselves, grow and learn. How's everybody feeling tonight? Y'all all right, Erica, Brittany? Oh yes, I am wonderful, but you know, I woke up that way, so. <laughs> all right. Well, child, I'm here holding on. So I'm hoping by the end, by the end of this, some of that from uh, Reverend Erica to rub off on me. But we <laughs> hallelujah anyhow, okay? Okay. So we are waiting on uh, Dr. Akeem to join us. He'll be here in just a few moments. Um, but this is episode three, and our topic is I am a Christian. Now let's talk about sex. Mm. Be honest, y'all, in the comments. If you cringe a little bit at this title, let me know. Don't lie, don't lie. I know it's a touchy subject for a lot of people, um, you know, but I'm never afraid to shake the table just a little bit. So we want you guys to listen tonight with an open mind, you know, as we share our perspectives and. I'm really, really excited to explore this topic with such amazing people. Um, before we get started, I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our guests. Well, before I introduce them, I'd like to invite everyone to share and invite a friend. I'm texting people in the comments who you think might enjoy this conversation. And let's go ahead and introduce our wonderful panelists. I'm go ahead and read their bio so you guys can see just how amazing they really are. First, we have Brittany Broaddus-Smith. She is the founder of the Intimacy Firm and creator of the My Vulva and Me web series. The Intimacy Firm is an intimacy consulting and sexuality education agency. Brittany is an accomplished licensed social worker, sexuality educator, trainer, and speaker. Brittany earned a bachelor's degree in psychology and master's degree in both social work and clinical human sexuality. Working in the intersection of sexuality and faith, Brittany travels nationally facilitating daring discussions around those typically taboo subjects via comprehensive sex education, consulting, training, and coaching. Uh, the Intimacy Firm's mission is to empower individuals <clears throat> discover, embrace, and navigate their sexual selves without compromising their values. I love it. Say what's up to the people, Brittany. Hey y'all! <laughs> that bio was so big. It felt It's you gotta like send it in to like conferences and stuff. But when you read it out loud, I was like, oh my god, she that was so hype! <laughs> <laughs> She's legit, y'all. She's legit. Hi everyone! Thank you so much, Zainab, for having me. I am so like I've been thinking about this all week. I'm so excited about this discussion, and I'm happy to have you. Next, we have Reverend Ella, Erica Calicut, affectionately known as Callie. She is a native of Newport News, Virginia, where she is passionate about serving her city and changing the narrative to be the good news in Newport News. She is an alum of George Mason University and the DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union University, where she received her Master of Divinity degree. Reverend Callie is a licensed and ordained minister working as a professional healthcare chaplain, pastoral counselor, and professional wedding officiant, offering premarital counseling and individual counseling through her business, the Purpose Connection Counseling and Consulting, LLC. She's a proud member of 
Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. All right, shout out to the Deltas or whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Erica, I love you, girl. Say what's up to the people. <laughs> What's up, people? It's so good to be with you all tonight. Thank you, Zainab. And I'm so excited to have uh, a conversation that should be open and uh, honestly not a taboo anymore in this present age. So I'm glad that we have qualified people with us. Um, so I'm excited that Brittany's here. And of course, my good brother, the good doctor, Akeem Walker. So uh, thank you, Zainab, for extending this invitation. So I'm ready. Let's get it. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Welcome, Akeem. We're going to go ahead on? and introduce you to the good people. Thank you for joining us tonight. So, Reverend Dr. Akeem Walker is a native of Suffolk, Virginia. Dr. Akeem has the privilege to operate in ministry by simultaneously serving three churches in various capacities. He currently serves as the 16th pastor of First Baptist Missionary Church in Powellsville, North Carolina, the preaching and teaching assistant at Six Mount Zion Baptist in Hampton, Virginia, and is the associate pastor of ministry development and community engagement at Grove Church in Portsmouth, Virginia. Dr. Akeem holds the doctor of ministry degree with an emphasis on preaching and social concern that he earned from the School of Theology at Virginia Union University in Richmond, Virginia. His doctoral dissertation is titled The Black Therapeutic Preacher, Holistic Care of the Self. Outside of ministry, Akeem is an adjunct professor of humanities at Bryant and Stratton College. He's a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Say what's up to the people, Akeem. What's going on, everybody? I get to hang out with uh, some amazing sisters tonight. To my sister beloved, Reverend E. If <laughs> you owe me a phone call, and I'm putting you out on public. Yeah, call me, it out. Call it Before we get to all the deep stuff, you owe me a phone call. I just want to say that we got to talk, right? Um, it's a pleasure to meet this sister that I do not know, Miss um, Brittany. I've seeing your work just off a of fly, so I'm excited. And then, you know, what can we say about uh, the one and only uh, Miss Mustafa, who is a member of the finest. Come uh, on, the finest. First, the first. <laughs> she's first fam, and so I'm excited about this conversation. My DMs and inbox has been jumping, and so I'm going to be as real as I can. I hope my mom did not see this fly yet and log on because. Look, uh, listen, daddy, are you watching? Hey? <laughs> so, uh, if, but I'm excited. Thank you for being bold enough and open enough to have uh, a conversation that should be uh, open and honest anyway. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. So before we get to our icebreaker, Brittany is going to lead our icebreaker today. I'm so excited. Okay. I just want to invite everybody to share again, share with the friends, tag some friends in the comments. And also don't be afraid to engage with us in the comments. Um, we'll be sharing what you say on the screen. We want to talk with y'all. This is a conversation with everybody. So make sure you're engaging with us as well. All right. We ready for our icebreaker, Brittany. Let you sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Now, is this for us or the public, the people? It's, for us. It's, it's for us, but the people can play too. So if I'm you watch it, you can I'm cutting my pearls already. Uh, you should. And do. And do. So, mm -hmm. um, but no, I'm going to take it easy on y'all this time because we just, you know, we just meet. Mm -hmm. um, so the way the game works, it's a forced choice activity. It's called, Are You More Like? And I'm going to give you, I'm going to say a statement or ask a question and give you two options. And you have to pick which one you are more like. You don't get to say both. 
You don't get to say it depends. You don't get to say this with a little bit of that. It is either or one. Choose ye this day. Okay. <laughs> Pastors, y'all understand. Y'all know the word, okay? But I believe in the Trinity though, so I get three options. No. <laughs> but you serve one God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. So now, so I'm gonna start off easy, real light. When it comes to how you show up in the world as a man or a woman, when you walk out your door, do you show up in the world in your most authentic self as a medicine cabinet or a file cabinet? Medicine. Why? I don't know. It just sounds better than a file cabinet. Mm -mm. A, a medicine cabinet provides healing and options. A file cabinet is only to store stuff. Come on, now, now, I think that's good, but you know, file cabinet, you, you hold a lot of information now. And I think if you hold a lot of information, you that knowledge and that understanding, you can use to help people too. So there, there could be healing in that as well. Come on. That's true. So I was, so I take it, Zaynab, you're a file cabinet also? I am. I am file cabinet. And yeah. Brad, what you, what, you, that same reason or different reason? Yeah, I say file cabinet um, because of the amount of information that I feel like I hold is not just for me to keep it to myself, but those resources should be uh, shared uh, to those that are in need. So uh, sometimes I do feel like I have a lot of files in my head uh, that I need to uh, download and distribute. Awesome. I like that. And for me, I would say a medicine cabinet, of course, because when it, particularly as it relates to my being a black woman, we unfortunately, whether by choice or by force, we have to be all things to all people. And so when you open a medicine, when you open file drawer, you was going to get papers, papers and folders. That's all you're going to get. Medicine cabinet, depending on who home you are, who home you're at, what time of the day it is, what season it is, you're going to get something different, you know, out of, out of there. And then we also are have more, to, there's more to us than meets the eye more particular as black women so you have you think it's a mirror but you pull it back and you're like whoo there's so much more um in there so that was what i would say for that one okay we're gonna go up a notch y'all ready all right i'm ready okay so this is a two-part question when you think about yourself as a sexual being as we all understand that we are all sexual beings right we i'm holy Okay. And that and that's fine. But being holy and a sexual being are not mutually exclusive. So as a sexual being, when you if you were to be purchased from a department store, would you come from the home goods section or the grocery department? I need I need context. Whatever you think it is, it is. If I were if I were to purchase you from the department store, you're you as a sexual being, would I be looking for Dr. Akeem in home goods or in groceries? I'm not going first this time. I you I say home goods. Um I think home goods that's like welcoming. Um, and that's definitely me creating a space where people feel like they can be themselves or they feel like they are at home when they're speaking to me. Um, so yeah, I would but say a, No, she said as sexual, a sexual being. Sexual being. As a sexual being. Yeah. I, 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 would, say, I would say grocery, uh, the grocery section. No, simply um, because of the substance and the uh, nutrients. Oh, Come on, <laughs> Hey, the nutrients. Listen. Yeah, 
<laughs> Y'all so churchy over here. The nutrients is what sent me over. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Doc, your turn. You done waited long enough. I don't know. Like, can I be in the in the aisle but that separates no. the home goods and the no. and the and the groceries? Like, nope. I'm going with home goods because most stuff in home goods don't have an expiration date. Ooh, I love it. I love anything it. you get from the grocery side is gonna expire. I, oh, I love it. I love, and you know, and I'm gonna. You now my brother now, so I, we we we're family now. Yes, we and so I'm gonna go with my brother. Also pick home goods, but just for a slightly different reason. Home goods is something that you get to do, whereas groceries is something you have to do. So when it comes to being a sexual being, I I am a decision. I am a I am a choice. I'm not something that you do because if you don't do, you'll die. It's something that you wake up and are intentional about partnering with me in this endeavor. And you are, home goods are regular, they should be regularly refreshed. It changes with the seasons. It costs, you know, it's a little expensive. Like, you know, you can't just, you know, good home goods that you wanted to last a while. You know what I mean? You put, you invest in it, right? So that's what, um, that's what I would say. So part B of this is when you think about your ideal partner, your ideal partner, are they coming and the sexual partner was silent because you know we don't want to disturb anybody's spirit, but this is what we're talking about tonight. Are they coming from home goods or groceries? What well, your explanation Home goods. Now, now, now. If we're talking, if I am shopping intentionally, I'm going to home goods. If I'm just running there because I need something quick for the night, I'm going to groceries. Hmm. If we're talking about sexual partnership, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm at home and, oh, snap, I need something to eat and I just forgot that I don't have nothing here at the house, mm -hmm. you're running in to the grocery department. Lord Jesus. The I knew somebody was going I knew it was coming. I felt it. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. I knew it was coming. But here's the thing, though. So that when you think um, that I agree with you 100%, but if you are thinking about your partner, though, your life partner. Life partner, I'm going home goods. Home goods. Okay. All right. Rev, did you answer? I, I think I'm, I'm going to stick with groceries because I want us to be equally yoked. Okay. And, <laughs> and, and when I, I, I say, you know, again, groceries, um, because if if I'm giving, I, I want to be fed as well. And, and and when I think of sometimes home goods, I think of like stationery. It's kind of like things that we have behind us that uh, are good for the aesthetics, but it may not always nourish me the way that I need. So that's why I'm like, I think we're gonna stick. I like the way you think. I love that. I love, and that's why I like this icebreaker because every time I do this, it's a different justification, and it's it's always so uh, it can it can be pretty powerful. So last one, but so we can kind of level set and ground the discussion we're going to have today. When you think about Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we love Him, right? When you think about Him and His relation to sexuality, good night, Saints. <laughs> do you see him as a guardrail or a barbed wire fence? Somebody else got to go first. 
Erica, you gotta go first this time. We each went first once. Repeat it one more time. Let me digest that. When you think about Jesus and sexuality, Jesus and his relationship to sexuality, do you see him as a a guardrail or a barbed wire fence? A guardrail, a, a guardrail like what we see on the the, the interstate. Mm -hmm. Keeps us and a, a a barbed wire being maybe something to keep us away, or uh, okay, That's what you think? Ah. Understanding that Jesus was both divine and human, um, I, I guess I, I see, I'm going to visualize Jesus for, for me in, in this context as a, a guardrail. That's the only uh, thing that's kind of coming up for me. Uh, again, like the person just said, as a protective measure. So if I kind of go uh, off uh, the the lane, um, you know, you go off the interstate and, and you hear that sound first before you hit the guardrail. It's like that sound is the Holy Spirit and then the guardrail is Jesus that, you know, hey, get, get back. <laughs> um, you're drifting, you're drifting. So I'm, I'm going to say um, guardrail um, for, for my answer. I would agree with Erica too. I think it would be a guardrail. A barbed wire just kind of sounds like I'm keeping everything out. And I don't believe that God thinks sex is bad, you know? So it's just maybe just a guardrail is just like maybe protection or boundaries, but not necessarily saying no. Yeah. I'm going with the guardrail. Um, barbed wire fences can only be put up by its owner. And it's more restrictive than the guardrail being protective. And it runs the entire length of an interstate, not just for a section. Mm. So if we move even beyond sex, Jesus has entrances and exits uh, for everything, not just sex. Sex is just the only thing we don't talk about, right? That's the only thing we can't drift into. And guardrails are there for protective measures. You know? So that's what I'm going with. I love that. And I think that um, for me, the guardrail versus um, the bar wire fence, I think someone shared it, is, is it's the difference between like religion and relationship, right? Religion, that barbed wire fence it, it, with the, you know, the, the getting cut and getting bloody and being, you know, pain. And then barbed wire fences are high and you climb over, you going through the depths to go over and knowing you're going to get hurt just to, you know, fall down. It's just like, it's just like pain and anguish that's not associated with 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 God, with Jesus, with our relationship with him. Now, granted, there's a standard in the kingdom. You can't just be out here running them up, but he's a good father. So the way he guides us, and that's what guardrails do. They, you know, they guide you as much as they uh protect you. And so I think that that's what it, that's what it would be for me. So thank you for indulging. Thank you, Zaynab, for the opportunity to lead tonight's uh yes, Thank you. Thank you so much for being willing. <laughs> you got to time out. He won't ask me about my shirt. What does your shirt say? I knew Brittany? he was going to ask me about my shirt. I felt it. I felt it. <laughs> Tell my us about it. My shirt says the same thing that says. Never mind. All right, let's start, Zaynab. Let's go. <laughs> All right, let's get into the discussion. So, y'all, I've been in church my entire life. Y'all probably have to. And while I'm sure that there are churches who thoroughly discuss this topic, 
no church that I've ever been in has really had like open conversations about sex beyond the basic level of no sex before marriage. So <clears throat> I'm not putting all of the responsibility on church because I do believe that the conversation should start at home. Um, even my parents who were pastors didn't really talk to us about sex. It was just kind of understood don't not to have it. And most of the time the teaching was kind of fear-based. Fear um, so it's almost like our parents and our leaders, you know, they're, they're so scared to talk about it and think we're gonna sin when they, and they make the conversation off limits when they can just use that as, as an opportunity to teach about self-discipline, you know, in that moment as well and self-control. Um, but it's my belief that if you don't, that you don't have to sin to be informed. You don't. Just because you want to know about sex doesn't mean that you're going to fall into the actual act. So this brings us to my first question. Why do we think sex has been seen as a dirty word and a taboo subject for so long? And how can we change that narrative? Ooh, so much to unpack there. Um, I, I, I think we really have to look at it historically uh, why how we have gotten here as a people uh, and as a people I'm, I mean uh, black people uh, the black community um, and understanding the trauma and exploitation that our bodies have endured at the hands of white culture um, to take it that far back um how western white christianity infiltrated african cultures and tribes to say hey, cover up you know uh what your ritualistic um you know things that you are carrying out is demonic or is inappropriate and i believe that has trickled down now through generations through slavery and the antebellum south um and 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 taking us now to where we are where as a community the black church is sexually repressed as as uh emily towns would say and at this point now, as a community, as a church, we have to take now some responsibility of how are we going to contribute to these conversations directly because the culture now is where people are going to have these conversations about sex. Because like you said, um, when we do have conversations, it's about, uh, it's, Fearing, you know, don't have sex or, you know, you'll get pregnant and die. Like, you know, those very extreme, yeah. um, you know, uh, rhetoric uh, that starts to demonize and vilify our bodies um, or just sexuality. Um, I, I think it's long overdue um, because the churches will pay for preachers, but we won't pay or scholars necessarily sometimes, or uh, researchers and, and consultants like Brittany come to come in for the, the women's day or you know someone for the men's day to have 
conversations or to the youth engagements. You know, when it's about the youth, it's about purity, it's about abstinence. Um, everything I learned about sex happened outside of the church. You know what I'm saying? From, from friendship circles to school programs, uh, sexual education, uh, everything but conversations from church leaders. It was always flee from temptation, yield not to temptation for yielding is sin, right? We sing about it, it's in our hymns. Uh, there's been an avoidance yeah. for years. We talk about everything else or we categorize sin. Um, and, and like you said, it's lack of self-control. And, and, and then we uh, pin a, a certain uh, layer of disgrace upon black women and saying black women are the, the, the Jezebel stereotypes. It's, it's so much that, that goes in, in, into it. Um, we we want to sit down the pregnant mother, but not the, the minister of music for flamboyant. Okay. Um, so, pastors and infidelity and uh, uh, adultery and, but the miscon the sexual misconduct. the war that short skirt and walk past the offering table. I would have never failed if you wouldn't have had that type of lap scarves, cover cover up, come into you know it 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 it's been so um unfortunately um why a lot of people leave the church is because we as a black church have almost taken on the same oppressive narrative that oppressed us is what we are now giving. Um within our own community that is oppressive, that is restrictive. So it is time, it's been time, it's past time to have these conversations in the church because uh, our youth, the, the was it Generation Z, mm -hmm. they're gonna find it in on social media, they can go to YouTube, they can go to Instagram, they can go to Twitter, they can go to TikTok and learn everything they need to know and won't hear anything from it, from the church. Um, it, 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 so much has shaped our beliefs, but we got to do more now to have direct conversation within our church walls um, and not just about bashing other lifestyles, but sexuality as a whole. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that, I mean, there really isn't much more to say after that amazing uh, response. And I love that you. Uh, brought in the cultural aspect of it because even the effort I would say from my you know I'm 33 and so the the church doesn't talk about sex when I was eight nine ten eleven it's actually different now um there are a lot of people talking about sex it's just the wrong folks saying the wrong things with the louder loudest and I think that in you know lay persons are trying to kind of fight back against that police and it in black culture we're kind of pulling on things like purity culture and things like that which is not really ours purity culture is a white evangelical thing it is respectability politics that is ours that we aren't really seeing the cultural implications of it is the as you said the the policing of uh, black women's bodies and outfits and things like that because we don't want our brother to stumble but we can be in a paper bag and our, our brother got his shoes tied together. Once he's like, you know, he came here prepared right? And then there's this idea that pleasure is penis shaped. So anything regarding sex 
and men is a need so anything that they do is okay women are just here to be uh you know Zainab, can i go how far can i go i think the mic is giving feedback it's like a echo or feedback or something no, no, it sounds, it kind of sound, is it playing on two different places? Mm -mm. Oh. I, I hear it fine on my end. So maybe. So maybe <laughs> no, I hear the feedback on my end. So maybe if y'all mute, if y'all mute, y'all might. Can you, how does it sound now? Okay. All right, cool. So, um. What was I saying? Um, and with pleasure being penis shaped, right? It says that any and men need sex, right? So everything that they do regarding sex and sexuality is like you know that boys will be boys type of conversation. Whereas women are supposed to be uh, wet and willing, but don't want it too much. Don't talk about it too much, right? You're supposed to be a willing vessel, which then turns into basically being a receptacle, which is why when grounded, it's, we're still grounded in this idea that sex is dirty. And the biggest dog that the enemy has in this fight is convincing us that sex is his when it really was God's. He can't, he couldn't pervert something that belonged to him. The only reason why he can get his hands on it and mess it up is because it was God's to begin with. And so we can continue this narrative that sex is bad, sex is dirty. Then folks even get married with the same mindset and then they still believe sex is dirty. It just happens to be the one thing that God will turn his back on, the one sin that God will turn his back on because I'm married. And so we're not resting in the pleasure that is our birthright. So we know that it's taboo and dirty because we know the fall, right? We know the shame. We know shame entered the world because of the fall. We know we live in a fallen world. We know the flesh. We know all of those things. But there's also things that we contribute to by perpetuating these negative narratives and stereotypes. And the one thing that I would um, not necessarily push back on, but when I think about the church's responsibility in having this conversation, sexual health, sexuality is a specialty, right? I went to school for a long time to have the conversations that I have. And not every church is equipped to have this conversation, but the church's responsibility, you may not be teaching sex at one-on-one, but what you say from the pulpit, what you say, what is whispered in the halls, what is said in Bible study and women's ministry, it empowers or uh, puts saints in a chokehold to not ask the questions that they need to ask. It, does, it tells parents that they need to be scared about whatever the schools are teaching and they want to sign out opt-out letters so students don't get effective sex ed. If our mission is to have folks abstain into marriage, young people who have access to comprehensive sex ed are more likely to delay sexual initiation than those who don't. And so we we perpetuate this problem by making it, um, keeping it behind the veil. Like the veil was torn. We ripped, Christ ripped the veil, but we want that part, we got to keep back there. But then it's like a thing that we get to do, I mean, that we want to do, but we don't want to talk about it. But there in no place can you have regulation where you don't have education. And I know that was cheesy and churchy, but that that is the reality. Let me say to both uh, of you um, how you have given more sex education and historical lens than most people have ever heard in their life from a Christian perspective. Um, I agree with everything you all said. And I don't want to just say something just to say it, but I think that we as a people, African American people, especially don't like anything that is unclean, meaning even if we look at the cross, we rush to Sunday morning. Get them up out the grave. I don't want to really deal with Friday 
or Saturday, right? Um, we don't really deal with anything that's messy. And I think for many of us, if we be honest, for those who grew up in church, while sex was not talked about, it was all around us. Most young men and women receive their first kiss or touch on some kind of youth trip. I mean, like, <laughs> if, we, if we're really going to be honest, right? Or there were deacons and or people in the church who had multiple families in the church. But we don't talk about it. And I like what you just said. We can't have regulation without education. And it is amazing that we have an ethics uh, ethic in church about everything else except sex. So if I am a hermeneutic too, we got a hermeneutic right? for everything else except for sex. Right. So yep. I'm eight years old, nine years old, let's say 12, however age sex education is. I go to school and they're teaching me how to properly, if I'm going to do it, how to properly do it. But then I come back on Sunday morning or youth group and I'm told that it's nasty. So how do you justify that when a boy has his first morning erection? There's nothing, I ain't seen nothing. I just wake up and there's a natural bodily reaction in the morning. But I'm told that's nasty. And now I'm looking at my body as nasty. Yeah, so I, I think that's why it's been so taboo because we don't know how to explain it. And to Erica's point, if we really look at how the master infiltrated and educated the slaves, it was still call and response. And even in the 21st century, most African-Americans still need to be told what to do from a gospel standpoint. We don't read on our own. We, we turn to the scripture on Sunday and after Rev finishes, we close our Bible and we might read the Bible plan and we only read the Bible plan that pops up on our phone. We don't read the pretext and the post-text. And so because the, the Bible only talks about sex from a certain point, whatever Rev says is what I'm going to go with. Now, Let's flip it because I don't want to stay stuck in the past. How do we change the narrative? I think we have to have the conversation. Because what does it mean when the projection is 60% of African-American women will never be married? So am I supposed to love a God who gave me this feeling but deny who I am as a human being? Because watch this, the weather is changing. I don't care what kind of down blanket you got. I don't care how many pillows you got on your bed. Jesus and them blankets ain't going to hold you like a body would. And if we don't talk about it, self-discovery is what got Adam and Eve in the garden. They didn't go after, they went after the one thing that God told them not to go after because he never, they wanted to know the why. No, they didn't go after because they were hungry. They went after it because... You told me not to. And that's why we're having this conversation because we've been told not to but not to why. I'm done. And to that too, uh, we have to understand the difference between ideology and theology, right? right? And like you just said, we are also up against biblical illiteracy. So again, if I'm only 
forming my theology in connection with my pastor's theology. Do I really know what my theology is shaped of? Do I really know what informs my theology? And, and so I really think we have to understand what the church is saying, what the pastor is saying versus what God is saying, understanding that theology is the study of God. And we also have to dissect the word and understand um, a lot of the influence of the Greco-Roman culture that Paul was speaking to, uh, that uh, also in, in Leviticus uh, 18, what Moses was uh, speaking to. So a part of changing the narrative is, is biblical literacy and found biblical teaching I think also helps us to change the narrative about how we explore this topic. And if anything, I will only add to that is literacy and agency, because unfortunately, people, the Bible that is ours, every believer, you profess to be a believer, the Bible is yours. It is God's word unto you. But it's almost like we gatekeep, we gatekeep his word when we get and we there's like we have a lot of kind of spoon fed, milk fed, you know, Christians really wanting to wrestle with, you know, the meat of the text. And we um, my pastor says all the time we have to move past being taught what to think, but how to think, how to wrestle. You know, that's, you know, the understanding that we don't have conversations about apologetics with late, you know, with lay people, but you should. And so they'll, they'll, that even what we the terms we're using today apologetics, hermeneutics, biblical literacy. Those are not everyday terms or conversations for your lay people, but it should. It should be. Like, you know, the thing, the thing is that the Bible was written in language that most of us don't speak. And it was thus translated, which means there is going to be some, you know, ambiguity. And there are the biblical absolutes and there are the personal convictions. And then there's just preferences. And then we then kind of conflated all of them together and had some form of, understanding or of, of God and his word and his heart. And that's why we have, and that's, I think, again, that's what the enemy can, he can rest his head on is the confusion. He don't even really got to stir up much. He ain't got to really make us super horny. He ain't got to make us, you know, tempt us with this or that. He just like plant a seed of confusion. And then he can go on about, he going to go on about his business. And then we do the rest of the fighting ourselves. Come on, let's go. That's talking good. That's talking good. Before we go to the next question, though, I want to put it up. This comment Javon put up here. Um, he says, "Is sex seen as a dirty and taboo for both men and women? Seems like good measure to to shame one group while empowering another." Oh, that's the fact. It's absolutely. I mean, and I think, and I love the way he worded it because he, know, uh, Javon, yeah, Javon said he, he know good and well the answer. The <laughs> yeah, answer to well. that, like, yeah, it's it's very much. Um. Women is women don't do so that men won't make a mistake. So that when like it's like we are care we are women women are socialized to be the responsible party for all of men's urges, whether it is causing them not to stumble, whether it is um, being responsible for you know the child after the child that happens afterwards. Women have to visibly in in the event of a pregnancy, we visibly are 
you know, see this, you see the sin on us, if, if you know, if you will, in that way. And it continues. And that's the, the thing is that one thing we have to recognize that that's not just a church thing. That's just not a body of Christ thing in society. Men get to come and go and do whatever they want. Boys will be boys, but women have to be just so. Your worth and your value are inextricably connected to your body count, are inextricably connected to the length of your skirt. You know, and then and then here's the here's the gotcha though. When you get into a committed relationship, you get married, then all the things that you were told not to do, to flee from, to don't like, to don't consider, you are now then holding held accountable for not knowing what to do. You now have you know this whole Madonna horror complex, like lady in the street, freak in the sheets type of ideology when I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to say no sex, no sex, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, all the way up till 5 p.m. on the day of my wedding, then Nine o'clock when we get to the hotel, it's chandelier swinging. Like, like, what's that? Make that make sense? That math, that math isn't mathing. So very much, women women carry the burden of uh, sexual sexual shame and oppression far more than far more than men do. However, men though they don't carry that shame, they are absolutely impacted by it. We have men who are. Um, who aren't emotionally intelligent, who aren't sexually aware, who thinks that their sexual resume qualifies them for something. The sexual resume that you have, your experience only qualifies you for the jobs you had before. You get into a new partner, you get married again. They, what you did before, what she liked before, what worked there, don't work here. It's a new start. You know, you know what I'm saying? We think that men who are well endowed, just because you're well endowed, that that by by default that makes you a good lover. False. Come on, Brady. You better. You better. I was finna, I was finna go. I apologize. I don't want to. I don't want to take it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stop right there. It's all good. It's all good. I love it. So we were just talking about shame for a little bit. So this brings us to our next question: Is my sexual desire sinful? Am I sinning because I'm going to hell? Straight to it. Straight. To, look, we ain't wasting no time. We ain't wasting no time. Uh, now listen. I didn't ask to be on this panel. I asked to be on the single one. But since I'm here, um, and I, I'm saying it to say, I had I gotten so many uh, asked about how real will you be? Are you going to be authentic? And I said, those people who are asking that really don't know me, right? Um, I, yeah. Um, I don't think that my sexual desire is sinful unless what I'm desiring is ungodly. So I think my desire to eat a porterhouse steak, two baked potatoes, and then order dessert is just as sinful. Absolutely. As whatever a unhealthy sexual desire is. So if my sexual desire is that of raping someone or of an elderly person or a child molestation, then yes. But I don't know that if I desire a woman that is available or whatever your preference is, but I'm saying me because I'm heterosexual. I don't know that that's sinful because anywhere in the Bible, when we look at, let's use let me not from your theological lens about him being the king and accosting her. I'm saying when we look at David and Bathsheba, right? God did not punish him for the act. It wasn't until he got greedy and killed Uriah. Hmm. 
that God then said, wait, you, you, you greedy. You had to kill a man because you were a coward because you got her pregnant and to wipe away your stuff, right? When we look at Solomon, who had wives and concubines, even when Paul writes in the New Testament, that whole thing that we misquote, you must be the husband of one wife, it wasn't talking about divorce. In that day, polygamy was permissible. Mm -hmm. But he said, listen, because in that same text, he talks about being single. He says, I want you to be single, but if you can't be single, I want mm -hmm. you to marry. But because you can have five wives, I don't need you to be divided between your wives and the kingdom. So if you're going to be married, just have one. Because you're already dividing your time from God with the one, you can't have three. God never addresses what we call as sin. Here's the other part. Let's deal with the woman who was caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. My hermeneutical suspicion continues to ask the question, if you caught me, that means somebody else was present. Where was the other party? Mm -hmm. Somebody had to desire her. So did you did you make did you make it sin because she told you no? Because mm -hmm. by the time you got to your place in line, she was tired. See, sin is subjective in mm -hmm. most cases. Mm -hmm. Right? So homosexuality is a sin until it's my brother that, that admits to me he's 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 homosexual. Now my theology of sin has to shift. And so I'm saying, I don't think that a healthy, I think sin is anything that can separate you from God's love and purpose from your life. And I don't know that sexual desire is sin unless, let me, and I'm done. I don't want to overtalk. If, if I meet Brittany and Brittany tells me I'm saving myself for someone, not even before marriage, but until, until I feel like I'm in love. If I create this scenario to make Brittany think that I love her, but I have no intentions of loving her, mm -hmm. I think that's sinful Absolutely. because I'm manipulating her to give me something without her being in a clear thought. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. but if we just two consenting, coherent adults, I don't think it's sin. That's just my, uh, that's my thought. And so we think about the, the question as written. Is my sexual desire sinful? We didn't get to whether you acted on it or not. We didn't get to, you know, whether you're room, having ruminating thoughts and, you know, it's controlling your behavior. You can't eat, can't sleep, can't go to work type of thing. We didn't, we didn't get there. And I thought someone shared that lust and sexual desire are different. So by default, sexual desire are um, the sexual response cycle is a function of our biological capacities, right? So if you believe in the sovereignty of God in creation, then you believe that sexual desire is a natural part of life. That, that is bodies doing what bodies do, right? I have a workshop that's, that's called If God Created by Clitoris. So if God created by clitoris and it doesn't, then literally the only function of the clitoris is pleasure. It literally doesn't do anything else. It's not like the male prostate. It's not like any other where that has multiple functions, but also provides pleasure. It's not like any of that. It's literally is just pleasure. So if that is the case and you believe in that, then you have to believe that God created your horniness too. Mm -hmm. It is then when with with 
the responsibility of us to what do we do with it? What is the time frame? What is the context? So where um, um, where Doc say you know sin is uh, subjective, I think I would say it, it needs to be contextualized because what you know what I mean. And then it's also it's also personal because you know what is um, you know y'all y'all the scholars with everything that's uh, lawful is not expedient. Some you know you know what I'm saying. And so that because we don't even think about that. So may, way even though we may get away with it, it may not be a problem that doesn't necessarily mean it serves us. And so we're doing things that is not serving us, serving the body, serving our purpose, or, you know, you know, letting our good be evil spoken of and all the things, then we kind of get into, um, get into that space. But I think that by, I think that one thing that if anybody should take anything from this is that you being horny, we just, we ain't going to put it in plain language. Your horniness is not by default a sin or the result of some type of spiritual shortcoming. Wow. Your self-control related to it is the different conversation. Can, I, I know Erica has to answer. Let me just jump, piggyback off what Brittany just said. Because most of our sexual thought process is coming from New Testament, right? Mm -hmm. um, and really, we're more Pauline epistles than we are Christians in our thought process. Paul says, if you can't, if you burn, mm -hmm. if you cannot manage that, then you ought to, right? So the question I have, and in, in it pertains to sexual desire, is burning and passion feels different for everybody. So if I can manage it, Am I in error? So I think to your point, Brittany, thank you for bringing it back to the center that if my desire, if it is made by God, then I got to say no, my sinful, my sexual desire, it's not a sin because it was created. Yeah, that's 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 good. And uh, what both of you have said, uh, of course, I am in agreement with the context of uh, the desire Um and an understanding, I think there there should definitely be this level of self-awareness that we have about our bodies and, and what is, is coming up um, in, in our bodies because so uh, quickly we dismiss um, feelings. Uh, for instance, um, you know, Ephesians uh, 4, I believe, says, you know, be angry but sin not. So it's like what, what Brittany said um, is is what you do is is, is maybe the act and and like uh, Akeem said we also uh, lean very heavily on um, Paul and his his writings um, and you know just to you know throw in again the the old Old Testament um, law of of Leviticus and in regards to sexual relations it was speaking of you know do not give yourself to incest or bestiality uh, and, and, and those uh, manners of, of perversion um, because that is, is, is when we really start to uh, see that, that separation of, of where sin does start to uh, separate us um, in our relationship, uh, not only from ourselves, but from God. Um, so I, I think you really have to be mindful of where your mind is in those sexual desires, right? What were you doing when this desire come up? What are you feeding your 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 eye gate, your ear gate? You know what I'm saying? Uh, what what are you watching? You know? 
is <laughs> or, or did, did you smell something did you smell someone did, you know sometimes women when a, a man walks by he got on some nice cologne it's like mm. and don't <laughs> let me be ovulating child because <laughs> Um, and, and so I think we really have to look at our self-awareness. Um, and then if we do need to practice self-control and understanding, how is this going to, is this going to be a detriment to my walk? Is, is, is that something that's important to me? Is my walk with Christ? Is my, my relationship with God important? Um, um, and, and that again, demonize ourselves because that has kind of what we've been handed to ourselves and we start to feel guilty right so then we have to also understand self-love in 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 this in this context and am, am i always to uh diminish and block and and dismiss uh when desires come up and and because i never truly dissect and take the time to understand what is happening in me i can't communicate it i can't even articulate it first with myself but what if i am partnered with someone how do I then communicate those desires and and or struggles that that I may be having? And I, so I'm going to say um, it, it's also connected to self awareness um, at the end of the day, and just being very mindful of what you are feeding uh, your spirit that may be leading um, or contributing to desires that are separating you from what's important to you. I also think, I'm sorry if you wanted to move on, but to think about is the leaning into the sexual desire, is that the low hanging fruit? Because sometimes we make a sexual expression like the the panacea for all of our problems because I'm, you know, I'm horny is more socially acceptable than I'm lonely. And so along with your mindset, your, your, um, what you offer, um, Reverend Erica, about self-awareness is like, do I really, is this really what I'm feeling or do I want something? We have a, a biological need called skin hunger, touch hunger, right? And we need, like, we physically need to be touched. Like babies in NICUs, they improve their health, you know, their prognosis improves when, you know, when they do the skin to skin contact. And so as we get older, that skin to skin kind of gets less and less of readily available because we're not cute little babies that people want to pick up and hug, you know, anymore. And so then we, when we have inner, particularly in intergender, intergender connections, we think that any type of touch, any type of connection, any hugs, any of that, or even any just like communication or is has to lead to some type of sexual expression or be rooted in some type of sexual motivation. But if we have more spaces to feel and get our skin skin hunger needs met and really recognizing that there could be just cordiality amongst believers like we were created in community let us make man in our image we were created for community you know what i mean and so when you think about adam and eve you know eve was his neighbor before he was his, she was his wife. And so we can commune with one another. We, yeah, we, can, we can commune, but listen here, all this touching and stuff, I, it may not that, have to be in your the, presence, but at a certain point, all this, listen, touching But this is what I'm saying. Going. I think that if we had more spaces for that, we would have yeah. the less, it would be those less sneaky pulls on us in the late, you know, in the late night. Like we wouldn't have to go through such, um, such advances to kind of get that need met and we will be better able to decide do I just really want some right now which happens because you know life right I just really 
you know, yeah, or is it just like, out. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm bored. Right. Like, and so we, you know, we kind of barter sometimes sex for companionship and right. that self-awareness will help us to decipher whether I'm like, I really, you know, you know, if it's Netflix and chill or do I really just want to watch the movie? Mm-hmm. Come on, let's, let's go. Right. I think we can all agree that, you know, sexual desire is a basic part of our human makeup. Being attracted to somebody is natural. You know, a, a fine man walking by me and me noticing how wonderfully God crafted him, that's a natural human response. You know, that's how our bodies were created. And all living creatures have some sort of reproductive urge because that's how God decreed, our, you know, sexuality. That's how, right. you know, we'll perpetuate our species, you know? Yeah. So I think telling someone to kind of turn off their sexual desire, you're asking them not to be human. Um, so it's definitely not a sin in my eyes, but you know, everybody got them. We got a mind of their own. So <laughs> let's go to our next question. How open should dating couples be about sex? When should the conversation occur and how? Pick me, pick me, pick me. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> My first question for clarity, are we talking about exclusively dating or are we talking about just dating? That's because I want to be clear with my answer. Exclusive. Let's go with exclusive. I think as an adult, sex needs to be in and out the way. Because to Brittany's point, if we are dating, they're, contrary to popular belief, most men are not sexually aggressive because we don't like rejection. By theory, most men. And so it is the nature of, I don't want to be embarrassed if after the third or fourth time we've hung out, I hold on too long. You know that hold that long hook, trying to figure out who gonna kiss. So it's a it's, let me let me try to ease the kiss on her neck to see how she respond, and then she respond, and it's like, whoa, I didn't know you were gonna go that far. Like, so I think we have to have conversations about where you are, and be honest about it, right? Now, don't play the. And I'm I'm the only brother up here, so I need to, I need to be able to express what brothers are. I need this. If you are not with it, say you're not with it. Don't play this whole game of I'm going to tell him this to see if he going to really stay around to get it or what. See, those games that we play as adults, when you play games, you get what you get. And the prize is not always equal on both ends, right? I think you have to be honest about I'm open to sex. I'm not saying I'm open to sex. Which I, or however, end of the spectrum you fall on, we need to have the conversation. And if a man says that he's sexually active or attractive, it does not mean, sisters, that all he wants to do is sleep with you. I'm just sharing with you where I stand and that I'm open to it. But most of the time, women hear all you want to do. No, I'm telling you, I'm attracted to you. I like you. And I'm also. You know what I'm saying? So I think we have to have those conversations up front because it just gets the other stuff out the way. Like, so if all you're around is for sex, then we, we'd have had the conversation and now you get to stay around. But I don't want to know your colors and all that. And then we start talking about sex. And then you tell me after 90 days or six months, oh, just let you know, it ain't that I've been avoiding you. I just ain't. I don't get down like that. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I certainly agree that 
at, at this point, we're all adults. So ghosting and playing games and not being clear time, time, times, times up for that. Um, you know, putting on my, um, wedding officiant hat when I am doing premarital counseling um, with with couples. We have to have these conversations um, and use the space to be very clear. And there are couples who have come um, to me already have had that conversation that we are abstaining. There are still couples out there who are abstaining um, from sex with each other, you know, exclusively not having you know sex outside of their relationship until they are married um it's not always but they are out there they they do still exist um if you're not waiting or if you have some trauma that is impacting your sexual uh performance or health issues that impact your sexual performance uh Dating couples should be very open and honest, vulnerable, transparent about where sex falls. You cannot, I, I, I would definitely encourage one not going to a relationship, male or female, and not ever um, say, well, I hope it doesn't come up or I'll just let them figure it out. You know, I, I think that is, um, you know, doing it a disservice to your to your partner. So I, I think at this point, we have to be open about it, um, especially if you love someone and you respect someone enough to be in a um, exclusive committed relationship. If you talk about finances, if you talk about all the vacation trips you want to take and you talk about living together and you have a dog together and what you want to cook and where you want to spend holidays, but you don't ever talk about. See, we, we, we have sex, but we don't want to talk about sex. Talk about it. Right. So we like I say you have to be upfront about it. This is how I feel. Or uh, honestly, you know, hey, I've had some sexual trauma in my past. Um let me be upfront about what I mean by that so that you can understand um, what my triggers might be that may cause me to pull away from you if, if, I, if, I, if I do that. So dating couples need to be open. And um, some of the, the myths that we see uh, in, in, in couples, especially in communities of color, um, oh, we don't need to see a therapist about this. We can figure it out on our own. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would um, I would offer that dating couples is an oxymoron. If you are dating, you are not a couple. And so I think that the important part of this particular conversation is the when of it or how open is dependent on the relationship status. If you are just if y'all just kicking it and y'all have fun together, even if it's um, multiple dates or it's just that person, but y'all have not had the what are we conversation, then, and this is probably more leaning more towards those who, who are abstaining, um, then it's not really, what are we, why are we talking about this? Because it's not even up for this. It's not even a possibility. But now we're moving into, okay, I can see this being more, we're ready to establish boundaries and expectations of, of, one another, then I think it's particularly if you're abstaining, that definitely needs to be a sooner rather than later um, conversation. I think that we need to be comfortable with only like 
if, if you're abstaining from sex until marriage, you should only be with somebody who is also abstaining from sex until marriage, not somebody who is willing to abstain for you. Because abstinence, don't wait. I'm not, I'm not saving myself for a husband. I'm saving myself because I feel this is what God has called me to do. And so you want someone who's also doing that because if you have a moment where you, you know, you, you your body is doing what your body is doing and then they're like, I mean, you know, whatever. You need someone who has shared, shared values is a thing that should happen in any relationship. And the, the kind of formula, if you will, that I give with folks that I work with is, um, it's the the why and the why not are the conversation as it relates to sex are the conversation that you have beforehand. Like what your hard boundaries are, what your traumas are, what your you know pineapples absolutely not no no go hard pass. I'm never doing that. That you know you should have that conversation definitely up front. But the when and the how or the what and the how well, if we're not going to do it, you don't need to know if I can deep throw. You don't need to know you know, what my favorite position is. You don't need to know what my biggest fantasy is. You don't need to know those things, um, particularly not if you are just dating. As we get closer to the altar, though, we're in premarital counseling, then definitely we need to know, the, we, we then know the what and the how well kind of becomes more important because I shouldn't find out after I do that your porn search category is furry, buttless furry costume. I need to know that beforehand. I shouldn't know before. I have a client who didn't find out until after I do that his wife was never planning on having oral sex. That that shouldn't have. And she didn't tell him because she knew that it was important to him. And she felt like he wouldn't have proposed if she didn't tell him. That was manipulation. And so that's that's we we get. And this is also if this is the remnants of considering sex dirty. Right. Because we make it so complicated. I went I was married nine years, went through almost three months of uh, premarital counseling. Never talked about, it. we literally talked about every facet of a human adult life, except for, except for sex. Cause the thought is that it was just a given. And I say all the time, you don't have to sin to be informed and you have to ask those questions. Do you watch porn? If you do, what is your porn search category? What does that mean? Not that I want to watch porn with you, but I'll know I have a I have insight on what your sexual expectations are. What will you be expecting of me? What are you going to try to make me recreate based on something that you're connected to? Um, Brittany, can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. so, so immediately when you made the statement about a person who's abstaining should not be with someone, I want to raise that just a little bit, right? Because maybe. What if someone has never, if, if a person is into you, right? If a man is into you and all things are go, and maybe he's never had anyone to challenge him or mm -hmm. to even proposition him, right? Mm -hmm. Or to even share. What if no woman he's ever been with prior to you has mm -hmm. ever abstained, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's fair to suggest that because he's not, if maybe he doesn't have a theology about abstaining, but if I love you and I'm into you, there are men who may be willing to do it because of my love for that woman. And I don't know that to say that, or I'm just from a very surface level, that mm -hmm. you shouldn't be with someone who's only doing it because you asked them to. I think that's that's a so, bit touchy for me, right? I understand. And I, and I hear you. And I think for me, though, because as I said, I believe that, you know, abstinence, chastity, all of those things are like, it's a heart posture. It's, 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 it's not just sex. It's, you know, mind, body, soul, deed, all of those things. And it's a, it's a sacrifice. It's a committed posture, submitted posture heart to God. You're doing it for him. You trusting in him to keep you and all those, you know, the euphemists, all those things that we use. Right. But if you're coming in, if you are 
my walk and my conversation and me presenting absence to you and why I do it and you decide to adopt that value as your own, then sure. Like I don't, like I don't necessarily need, need, need you to be already abstaining when I got to you. But if you are only doing it for me, it is, I'll say, um, if we if we aren't comfortable with the absolute, I'll say it's a slippery slope when someone is only doing it for you because I'm not doing it for him. I'm not abstaining for him. I'm abstaining. I'm not even abstaining for me because if it were up to me, pop lock and drop it. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's again, it's that shared value thing. Because if and I, if we don't have a shared theology on something as important as sex, I would wonder where else do we differ. So that's why um, I said that. Okay, I I respect that. Thank you for answering it. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think there should definitely be, I guess, some if you maybe um, I'm trying to say a, a timeline. You know, if if you are dating, right, having having your your dating questions because, um, you know, just by by skimming uh, the comments here, if say for instance, if you're dating, should your trauma come up in the dating? period, right? Not necessarily that early in the stage. Maybe there are some other areas that, you know, are, are lighter, but still significant for you to discern um, where that relationship is going. Um, now, when we are getting to, um, you know, uh, I guess, six months, 12 months engagement, and now, like we said, we're, we're committed to spending, you know, uh, our, our lives together, getting, um, getting married, then those, like you said, hard, uh, conversations about, um, you know, for instance, the curriculum that I use for couples and premarital counseling talks about how, uh, on a scale, like, what do you rate your sexual desire? Like your desire to have sex. And the numbers always differ from male to female, where the male may be a little higher, or sometimes the couples are about the same. Um, or, or the question is, uh, who do you um, expect to initiate? And most uh, oftentimes the women will say the men, but the men will say both should. Um, they want to be their uh, their. Uh, female partners to initiate, um, you know, the, you know, sexual um, performance with, with them. So it, it really is, I think we have to also just take into consideration the timeline of where you may fall um, if you are just casually dating or if you are on that timeline of we have <laughs> saved the dates out. So there should not be any ambush like you said, on the night of, you know, when it's time to consummate the marriage that, oh, by the way. So let, I, let me, let's go, let me take a turn here. Cause we, we did a great job talking about those who are in committed relationships and or married, right? But we, let's just be honest. Everybody is not waiting until they're in committed relationships. And the reason why I suggested that it should come up sooner, because when we meet people, we talk about everything. We have been on three or four dates, and I know who your most dramatic line sister is. I know your crazy, I know your brother borrowed $200. I know your kid is struggling in school, whatever. What we don't talk about, so I'm saying, Brittany brought up the earlier about Netflix and chill, right? Because we know that's a thing. Here's what I say from a male perspective. 
even if you don't talk about, and I like how Britney said the how or whatever, we should talk about where your stance is because let's say it's a Netflix and chill moment. Men are very visual creatures. Most women, you're not Netflixing and chilling. Zaynab is not wearing her jean jacket to Netflix and chill at her house, right? So, what up? Come on now. Come on. She, you, she's going to get comfortable. So now the man is like, okay, she got on this this set. Now, now if you ain't plenty, you, you didn't got out the shower and you, you smell it like whatever you got on, whether it's Baccarat Rouge or Berber or whatever it is, right? Senses are going, the man, again, does not want to feel as if he's doing something wrong by whether it's a touch because we know we got those we got those signals right let me let me put my hand at the small of her back let me let me let me lay here all of that can be avoided if he knows that that ain't what you down with because i think sometimes we don't have the conversation until it's tension or it's right i'm saying let's avoid that because and I'm just speaking as a man, even something as simple as a kiss. Oh, I didn't, I didn't want like what, you trying to kiss me. I didn't. What made you think that was okay? Now it's we got to address something else that could have been avoided if we were just upfront about. I'm not with it. Right. And, but and, I, I think and, I'm and, sorry. I think the struggle though with that because it the way you lay it out, it feels like a little bit of a perfect worldy type of situation. Like, tell me what's up. I'll leave you alone. We going about our business. But the thing is that there are some wish though. There is like men who, and um, I think I saw some folks in the comments talking about how you say one thing, you set it up early, you set this on early, but in their head, they can convince, they'll just hold on and see where the end's going to be. And they going to convince you or not. That, I mean, it doesn't even not, I don't want to co coerce sounds like a, a big word, but, you know, convince you or kind of change your mind. Like if they are just, you know, they're kind enough, they're sweet enough. If that, you know, that hand on the small of the back, that kiss on the neck, if they're going to get you, you know, in the mood enough that eventually they can get what they get, what they want. They're going to persuade you into coming onto their side. It's not often that, oh, I'm not with it. You know, I'm out the road, which is again why I say if y'all not on the same page, like why again because of that tension, why why are we even putting ourselves in that predicament? And then even the Netflix and chill, which reaches back to the self-awareness thing. You know, you ain't you can't Netflix and chill. And then why would you come out fresh out the shower, you know, Adina Howard t-shirt and panties? Why are you doing it if you're not gonna, you know, if you're not gonna do it? like you know what I'm saying? The mixed signals are problematic and then it's like that whole I think this is a bigger conversation but like this wanting to be wanted thing so I'm going to set it up and put it in a way so you can express your desired interest in me and then I can be like oh no I'm thinking you know, you right know, yeah no I, like I, yeah come on let's it's we a problem like, yeah, we, not... too, we, we are, we're very we're very much but then we also don't want to be lonely so I have my boundaries I have my standards but I'm only going to say a bunch of them or as much as I as much as going to keep you comfortable so I'm going to lack the boundaries as much as keeping you on my side of the fence, whether I'm comfortable with it 100% or not. I get it. I'm with it. Uh, yeah. So we use the word abstain or abstinence a lot um, in this conversation. I just want just one person, just give me a definition of abstinence and celibacy. So we just for the audience, so we know the difference. I think and celibacy absolutely mm -hmm. means 
you are not indulging in any sex until you are married. Abstinence for me and my understanding of it can be seasonal. It can have a certain time for it. Does not always mean um, until marriage. It could mean for a certain period of time, or I'm abstaining right now. But I think mm -hmm. to say I'm celibate means I am waiting until. But Brittany, in this case, is the expert, and so that's just my yeah. limited. Well, celibate in most cases is more used for like priests and nuns that they, they are they take a vow of celibacy to never have sex or be married whereas after you're right abstinence is more um circumstantial or for a, for a set or appointed time but if you if you desire to be married you're not celibate you're abstaining okay so i got a question what if i wait until marriage and then my sexual experience with my spouse is not what i hope for it to be Shift your sexual expectations. Your sexual expectations. What? Your sexual expectations is the problem here, not your partner. Your sexual expectations is the problem here, not your partner. Because sexual compatibility. Are is, you serious? Sexual compatibility is created, not found. Wait That's a minute. Wait a minute. So if, so, so if I met you and you were eating that Ruth Chris and Morton's and Maestro's we and talk Fleming's, about sexo. We talk about okay. sexo. And I can and and I and I'm eating that outback. You gonna come down to just eat it outback and no 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 no. What I, so again, we're talking about sex. So this is this is very different. When we're talking about you, if you're saying that my I got married and my sexual expectation is not, I mean my sexual experience is not what I expected. Your sexual expectations are the problem, and then you've already put a time. You put a time limit. You've already suggested that your sex life is done. You've already ruled it a TKO. But sexual compatibility is something that you create, that you foster. It is a sexual relationship that happens over time. If you are thinking that you're going to come out the gate and it's going to be fireworks, y'all don't y'all don't know each other, especially especially if y'all hadn't had sex before. Y'all don't know each other. Y'all don't know each other's oh, body. So I didn't think she was saying immediately. I'm I thought she said over not like the first night it was horrible. I'm saying over a period of time, if I've waited and my the person who I'm with has not like come on we got bench well, that's why we got to have those conversations beforehand because what are you expecting why how is that person missing the mark in what areas a conversation i can make anybody think i can do anything no 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 no, no. and this is Whoa. why I'm, you're not having the right conversation so here's the thing so let, i mean we're gonna get we're gonna get real real for a second so i love it i love it let's get real come on so if we if we're talking about endowment right a, a common conversation among men and women about that have sex with each other is the size matter Right. And I always right. say that size matters because it matters to the person. Okay. If, I, if there's a certain position that I like and I'm built a certain way, there is a certain endowment that needs to be had to match what I, you know, what I like. But there are, so in that regard, if I may feel like, dang, I can't get this one thing that I love so much because my partner is not endowed in a way. So yeah, I may, it may not have been what I hoped for, especially if I didn't see what he was working with before I got there. However, that doesn't mean we throw the whole thing away. We then need to find a way, an adaptation that I can still reach that same pleasurable experience with the, the man of God that I have. Or so we, may create, we may create a new experience that had, that either matches or surpasses what I thought I what I thought I wanted. We have the sexual expectations that if you're coming in with these presuppositions, these supposed to be, you are limiting 
your what your sex life could be. I agree, but you're talking about endowment. He can't do nothing about that. God gave him or did not give him whatever he has. Right, but then for that, so the thing is, if I can find a way around something that he can't control, you can find a way around something that is controllable. So you're saying if 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 oral sex is something that I desire for my wife, Mm -hmm. and she's talked because women have a just a good talk game as men. They, they. I mean, sisters. Yeah, they y'all say, can do things to make up for other, and I'm like, wait a minute, let's not skip here. I need this for sure. And you said, um, like you said, you had a client who said that she was not willing to do it, right? And let's say I've expressed this is what mm-hmm. it, I, I, I'm not even saying how you got to do it. I'm just saying it needs to happen. It's it a non-negotiable, mm-hmm. and it's a hard no. Yep. You shouldn't have found out. You should have known that before you got married. But we're talking about okay. What if I didn't go? So we here so, so this is a different this is a different question though. So now this is not your marriage. Your your sex life isn't what you hoped it would be. You were actively deceived in um before you got married. Where this question is getting at what if I waited? I love this person and then it's just like sex is not the ex- well, really I think this this question is asking if sex is not the explosive nail back scratching fireworks screaming oh my god uh, porn that we see on porn that we expected that everybody told us that sex would be without practice without patience without the space and grace to learn each other it was supposed to blow me out the water and now it kind of fell flat but it fell flat because we made up in our mind it was going to be this way and we've not created our own sexual experiences what you're talking about is somebody who knew that they knew that they knew that they weren't going to do a thing and they lied to you and so now we have what Gottman calls a perpetual problem where y'all going to have to navigate a way around that. You may have to get a flashlight if you're into, you know, sexual wellness support toys or whatever you into, whatever your theology support to kind of get around it. Or we need to have a conversation if can is this something I can deal with for the rest of my life? But that's why non-negotiables need to start beforehand Man, let me just pick on you because when, when you were talking about the male, you talked about the woman adapting. What I mm-hmm. did not hear you say is that the expectation was for me to change my sexual preference and not for her to level up or to change her thought process. I didn't hear that at all. No, I don't think that anybody should change your sexual preference. I mean, again, unless we're, we're talking Bible, like unless there's some sin, your sexual preference, what you into is what you into. It's just a matter of whether what you're into meshes with what your partner is into or capable of. And then what is feeding or fueling those expectations? Again, is it just because this is just my jam and I like and I've explored my body. I know my body. And this is just oral sex is my jam. Like everything else is going to fall flat. I'm not going to be able to last if I don't get that out the way. Then that's fine. But if you're, again, feeding some unrealistic expectations, Hollywood or other things are telling you that you need sex swings and ball and gags and you know cat and nine tails and all of that and your partner is very clearly saying that's not what i'm into then you may need to shift it's not a matter of level up or not it's just whether can we mesh well and again that is a discussion that needs to be had before if you in the kink don't tell me you in the kink on our honeymoon when i'm pulling out the the, the yeah, strap no <laughs> mm. but that don't make you wrong because you in the kink that just means, you know, y'all, y'all, there's a missed opportunity for, for discussion and vulnerability. It really is just a matter of how vulnerable is each partner willing to be to get their sexual needs, to get their sexual needs met. And then to be the partner, because ultimately an orgasm is your response. Your orgasm is your responsibility. 
and the what you do is the information that you provide to your partner helps them partner with you in, in experiencing it it's not them it's not a good lover's job to give you orgasm it's not a treat it's not a prize it's not any of that it's two fully informed individuals sharing information and partnering in an experience and, and i want to i want to add um intimacy to this um as an expectation um because we know that um in some cases men can usually you know get started at a drop of a dime usually sometimes okay women, women it's a longer process it's more than penetration intimacy is offers a sense of uh foreplay if you will mm -hmm. of what happens before we get to the bedroom mm -hmm. right and how are again how are we having these conversations about what intimacy looks like for me yep. is it um for the for the women uh, do i feel listened to do do i feel valued um do do i feel that you you care for me um so that yes by the time we get to the bed baby i'm all yours or um or is it i just want to have sex the intimacy matters and that should be one of the sexual expectations that we discuss that this is what intimacy looks like for me and i can get wet faster i can uh, orgasm faster if i have a b and c yeah. um and or i can stay up longer if i have a b and c yeah. so we have to again be very um like she said vulnerable transparent about what is it that i hope for right yeah. like you said what is feeding my expectations am i bringing everyone am i bringing my body count in the bedroom with me am i yep. bringing everyone uh before who who pleased me well and now i got a hodgepodge of how i like to be sexually satisfied um but then now i, I get to my spouse and it's not that like you said that same like oh mind blown yeah teachable yeah. and that's where we come to see you maybe a sex there that's what makes you a good partner you be you, you being teachable and it's what separates and everything you just said like the intimacy aspect of it that's what separates in this question a sexual experience from a sexual relationship you are weird you should be working to foster a culture of sexual excellence and yeah. so that, that that means sometimes that means that linear the typical linear model of foreplay penetration orgasm go to bed sometimes it means that sometimes it just means oral sex sometimes it means just cuddling and holding and and you know some little fondling or whatever sometimes it means you get yours and then we lay down and i don't like it it, it means different things for different spaces but when we have we have idolized penis and vagina penetration as the as the hallmark of all things sex which is not reality we don't understand and what you mentioned about you know women needing more time that that's the anatomy that's the sexual response cycle women are 10 to 15 minutes behind in full arousal from men so delayed penetration helps with that and for those women who aren't um the spontaneous desire or spontaneous arousal which is like oh you look cute now i'm horny let's go 
or more responsive desire, like, okay, I wasn't thinking about it, but now I'm warmed up and ready. Okay, we can do this. But when we think about foreplay and intimacy, as you said, the foreplay for the next time starts at the end of the last time. So how's the aftercare? How are we talking? How's the conversation? Is it once we do it, can we talk about what we just did or this just like, you know, a little freaky sneaky that we never mention again? Do you talk to me, put your hands on me in a loving way that does not lead to or end in sex for male or women or women? Some men, some men want to be the little spoon. And they don't have the safe space to be able to say that they not that they don't you know that they don't want to be the aggressor all the time. We talked about your couple who want their women. They want to be pursued. They want to know that they look good. So they they may be bashful. They may turn away and all that. But when we be like, oh, daddy, you look good. They enjoy that as well. And so when they always have to be the aggressor, if they want to be wanted as much as we as much as we do, but we present sex as a need for them then we remove their their ability to be um discerning about their feelings about their bodies about their wants about their needs as it relates that we present them as like these sexual savages and do them a disservice as much as we do ourselves right right because the moment we make someone feel guilty in the, the bedroom then then we we really do see where where intimacy can fall off or attraction uh fall down so uh the foreplay is 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 so important to talk about that as well what gets you going what what do you need beforehand and like you said the aftercare what do you need afterwards um and and being very uh against the women woman's body is so intricate that you know our our ph levels are are just <laughs> all over the place after a sexual experience so it needs to be talked about and 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 so that by the next time and the time after that we we know what we're getting into and it's not you know lights off and we just feeling around like oh i think i got it like right. no and man please know if you don't say I nothing else from here it, I want to be serious, but that sign keeps taking me out every time I look at it. And I'm because okay. it's the truth. So here, like there, if you don't know, women, 70% of women report never reach, um, not reaching an orgasm from penetration alone. It is, it's the clip for me is a rallying call as much as it is an education to help close the pleasure gap. There's a pleasure gap that exists in our world where 92%, I think of men who have sex with women report orgasm in 92% of the time, where I think women who have sex with men are about 65% of the time. And it's because of clitoral ignorance. So we talked about Bible literacy. We need clitoracy. I love you it. But you just literacy. said that you're responsible for your own orgasm. That's what Absolutely. You just so, but here's the thing. When I, when I tell you it's the clip for me, actually do something about it but then also don't go in there like dj clue freaking freaking irritate irri, like slow up ease up so it's my responsibility to guide you through the process but also come into it with some knowledge of an end you should know human anatomy not just male anatomy not just female anatomy you need to know human anatomy. you need to as a woman you need to know that the frenulum that little piece right underneath where the penis comes together like this underneath that's that has a much nerve endings about half as many nerve endings as the clitoris and so if you're ready trying to, if you got to, you got to get to work and you need him to hurry up, you need Listen, to know what the premium can do. Be not deceived. There is a way that seemeth right. Thank you for helping us understand. <laughs> Thank you for helping us. Listen, Zinev, I know you are hosting this and you've had us, but let me again say thank you 
for giving space for, and I know we're being comical, but thank you for just, sometimes things get better and get started just by a conversation. And so thank you for being sensitive, even being obedient to whatever, uh, whether it was the spirit or just your own desire, whatever the case, thank you for creating this space for us to have uh, this conversation. And I really appreciate you. I'm really quiet tonight because I'm just taking it all in. I'm, a, I'm like a student right now. I'm just, you know, when the experts are talking, you know, you just kind of you sit back and you take it all in. And that's what I'm doing right now. I appreciate you guys for, for joining me tonight, for real. And I think, I, well, I know that our audience is enjoying it based on these comments here. So we were talking about um, lip staining and being celibate. Uh, so for our last question, you know, for somebody who is waiting, how can they discover what they like and don't like sexually without actually sinning? Or should they not try to discover at all? I'm going to go and see, please don't fuss me out, but I got to jump on another live. So I'm going to answer my question. Okay. And then, hey, let me say this, two things. One, as a pastor, Erica said something earlier. Our issue is in the black church, we're so used to being the answer that we don't realize that it's our job as leaders to point people to the answer, which is why people like Sister Brittany exist. When you go to the doctor, your doctor is not a specialist in everything. They give you a referral. And so maybe we need to have, for all the pastors and leaders that are watching, bring in people, not who watch some waiting room or read uh, Megan Good and Devon Franklin's book, but people who are certified like a Britain to have these conversations. So again, I've been excited to see my sister E and uh, to meet Brittany. Now, I think this is my one line for this, and I hope is as spiritual as I can make it. I think it is easier to ask for forgiveness and get over you pleasing yourself than getting over another body. Whatever your theology is, I think it's easier for you to help God get over your finger or toy than it is for you to ask God to, to unravel all the emotional and connections that comes with somebody else if that is your position. And I think like anything else, you cannot teach somebody else to, what to do to you if you have first not experienced it yourself. So I think you have to know what your point of no return is. There are many different toys out here for women. The brothers, we kind of just like, we got our hand and we got a flashlight maybe. I mean, because- <laughs> I love things. Well, I, but our minds ain't going to no, I'm not going to buy no blow up doll or no, no. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I, I'm just not. So all we got, women, y'all got all kinds of whatever the case may be. Yield to the sisters, right? I'm just saying, I think you should know your body so that you can at least know. And I think if even if you're abstaining, I don't know that masturbation is for all the deep people that talk about God killed the man for masturbating. Read the text. God did not kill him. God killed him because he was obedient from not continuing his lineage. He was supposed to intentionally and purposely impregnate his deceased brother's wife to continue their lineage. And when he didn't, God killed him, not for spilling his semen on the ground, for masturbating, but because of his obedience. I thought I would just take that argument away from the saints who misquote scriptures. Mm -hmm. no Go buy you some, some Vaseline or Jergens or oh. buy you a rose or you know, a rabbit or something and hold on to time get better. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
So what I would say, <laughs> what I would say for um, even I'll speak for those who um, aren't who may not be comfortable with masturbation. Right. Um, I think that exploring your body and masturbating are two different things. I think masturbation has a orgasmic um, goal. There is a potential like pleasure goal rooted in it. But if you are exploring your body to see oh, here are my nipples. Oh, there's my clitoris. Oh, that pressure is a bit much. I don't, you know, I don't enjoy that. Like, you know, that kind of thing, like taking, I think that every woman should regularly, monthly, um, I do it, um, take a hand mirror, look at your vulva, you know, see, see what's happening, be able to, you know, understand the words, I mean, understand your body and not just for sexual expression, but even when you're going to the doctor, be able to know what your baseline is, you can better advocate for yourself in that way. So for me, discovering your body is first. It's a me thing first. And then there is, there are tons of resources available to kind of broach the conversation of sex. There are sexual dictionaries where you can just, you know, you may not, you don't have to experience it yourself to read, uh, you know, cunnilingus is, you know, oral sex on a vulva. Okay. Yeah. That might be something I'm into, you know, fellatio, oral sex on a penis. I can get with that, you know, snowballing, swapping semen back and forth in our mouths. Yeah, maybe I don't want to, you know, that doesn't sound like something I want to do. You know what I mean? And then kind of just developing that list. And then when you get into that space with a partner, you all can go through your, you know, your, I do activity with my clients, red, yellow, and green, where, you know, you bring to the table different experiences or activities and you rate it. Red is pineapples. Absolutely not. Never going to do that. Mm-mm. Um, yellow is we could with these under these, you know, parameters and then green is sure. Like I'm, you know, I'm good to go. And then that way you have a starting point. And as far as being able to teach a partner what you like, when you all are first together, you y'all are figuring each other out. And then as if something comes up that you actually really enjoy, you say, oh yeah, give me more of that. If it's something that you don't like, oh, say, no, I don't like that at all. Sometimes we kind of, women in particular, kind of just let sex happen to them and we kind of grin and bear, like he keeps putting his tongue in your ear and you hate it, but you don't want to upset him or hurt his feelings or you know mess up his ego. So you just sitting there with a soggy ear because you won't say anything, right? And again, that's what it's the clip for me is for, to be able to say, speak up. And my, my colleague of mine, sexologist Shamira says, use your mouth, tell the people, Tell the person, tell your partner what you want, what you need, what you like, and what you don't like. A hundred percent. I definitely um, believe that self-discovery is a part of self-care. And this is also about self-love. So discovering yourself, what you like, what you don't like. And if that is by way of self-gratification, self-pleasure, Again, how we have to sometimes unlearn or detach from the thinking that, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell if I Mm -hmm. do this. So it's about, okay, if I have this thought um, that, oh, this is bad, you know, this binary thinking of, oh, this is bad or this is good, um, challenge your own thoughts of where did that come from? Who, you know, uh, Michael Max, who, who, who taught you to hate your body? You know, um, so it, it's about self-discovery and being comfortable with knowing your body first from front to back, front to back, up, down, all around, in and out. We go and, and, and again, we 
we have mental health, we have emotional health. So sexual health is also just as important to understand um, what our body is capable of doing um, and, and just being able to, to be free, to, like you said, to speak up about what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy, what you like, what you're open to, or maybe uh, what you maybe need some more education on. There's so much, you know, um, and, and looking at, at, at Brittany's uh, Instagram, great content, solid. You have to do your research. Look at the people, um, you know, for Brittany being um, a licensed clinical social worker, having the certification and the training, you know that that is coming from, you know, research-based, evidence-based um, to, to help maybe feed your curiosity about other things that you don't know. Um, because sometimes that is also what uh, delays us or kind of traps us um, is the ignorance that that we get caught in um, and we don't move from that space. So there's so much, so many resources and channels on YouTube and Instagram podcasts that can help educate um, you about your body uh, or how to begin to explore your body. So I believe that self-exploration um, is significant um, for you to understand your, yourself first, love yourself first, and then you teach the partner, the person that you are partnered with how to love you. Absolutely. Wow. I want to thank you guys so much for your candidness and how open you guys have been tonight. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, and I've learned a lot just being on here with you guys. Um, if you have any final thoughts or whatever that you'd like to share with the audience, please go ahead. Um, any final thoughts, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> Anything that you would like to share that you would have hoped we we touched on? I, I think we touched on it all. And Everything. I, I, yeah, I, I, I did. And uh, again, this was timely. This was relevant. I hope it, you know, reached the people. I hope it at least sparked some conversation that you know, they'll take back to their friend circles or, you know, they can rewatch with their partner um, and or, you know, whomever um, they're in relationship with or, you know, situationships, you know, that's another topic in, in itself. But uh, I, I, I'm grateful that, um, again, we had a relevant and timely conversation. So I just um, hope that we will offer maybe uh, accountability uh, to our churches, because I know that, you know, there is uh a lot of conversation about millennials exiting uh, the church. Um, and, and so maybe there are a few of us uh, that are have wanted to exit our mm. church. We're still there. Maybe we're still there for a reason to shake the table and, and, and be some of the, the advocates uh, to, uh, to our church communities to say, hey, um, you know, I know a consultant that we can bring in for, you know, the next Women's Expo or Women's Summit or, you know, Young Adult Conference. Um, Y'all might think it's a little radical, but, you know, I, I think it's time for us to speak up to as a generation to change the narrative. So by the time it gets to that, the next generation and generation after them, this is not taboo. And this is something that we can freely, openly and unashamedly talk about. 
Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> so before we uh, go ahead and log off the live, I just want to invite everyone to subscribe to Sincerely Zainab Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. You'll be able to catch the replay there. Um, and listen to our other episodes and our future episodes that are coming. So we will see what well, I will see you guys next month, unless they come back and join me, you know, for whatever else we're talking about. But until next time, family and deuces. Bye. Bye.